there's demons, ghosts outside Screaming you can run but you can't hide You can't scare me, I'm already dead inside Welcome back to another episode of the Tex Chris Dave Saw Massacre. Today we are doing Session 9. Session 9. Which yeah. I've been trying to get you to do for, I feel like, 50 episodes or something. Really? I feel like I keep bringing it up and there's always something more appealing for you that you're like, no, let's do this one. And I'm like, fucking fine. Yeah, okay. But I mean, that's based entirely on the fact that I saw Session 9 once. Gotcha. And because you have that title, you were like, ah, no, I've, yeah. I don't and, want to revisit that. And it's also one of those, like, kind of, I saw it. I'm like, yeah, I know that one, kind of. So, nah. And I just didn't, wouldn't look into it more. Yeah. But no, I've since prepared. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even, I, I don't think I've seen it, but it just bears such a plot resemblance to so many other horror films. Yeah. So it has, like, that kind of, um, appearance of familiarity that I think has prevented me from seeing it sooner. Yes, that like familiarity camouflage. Yeah, tensions rise when an asbestos cleaning crew as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back. The, is there a, a, an abandoned mental hospital that has like a nice past? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do, are any of them you go in and it's fine? No, because that's a rom-com with Ghost Hugh Grant. <laughs> but it's like, I, just to like start off the, the logic of one of these movies, because there are mm-hmm. a million, and that's exactly what you're saying, is that it shares a lot in common with abandoned asylum movie absolutely just one of those like grave encounters yeah where was ever the one nice abandoned asylum that caused the precedent for all of these working crews Mm -hmm. to go in with no fear for uh, to start every movie never because the whole one the whole concept of an asylum is that you're confining people with mental illness in like a prison-like system instead of actually dealing with their mental health conditions so yeah and it's it's, going to come back with a vengeance exactly it's not a spa it's not nice there ever for one second there's no precedent for these places to be anything but just like i don't want to go there absolutely and yet they always end up in there locked in there Mm -hmm. shit goes sideways and this one seems to come up on more and more lists of kind of greatest horror movies of this century. So because of that, I wanted to check it out. Yeah. And I feel like maybe I didn't like, you know, give it the the attention it deserved when I watched it the first time. It happens. Yeah. So I like, I Googled it and I'm like, oh yeah, that movie. Mm. I remember it like... Is it is it all fresh in your memory? Like, can you remember kind of what happens, the ending? E- mm. Well, when in these types of movies, like kind of when something's revealed you'll never forget that mm-hmm. you know so i yeah i do remember and usually what then happens. when you're re-watching one that you haven't seen in 10 years or so it, everything kind of comes back like halfway through the movie or something. sure I'm yeah sure that'll happen i'm sure that's gonna happen i kind of do remember bits and pieces i do remember how it ends um but i also remember it like kind of when i watched it working on me a little bit All right. i'm like oh like so yeah i'm i'm a little more excited now that i've done the work and looked into great yeah just the hype alone that i've been seeing a lot of lately for this one is really encouraging me to check it out so i am very i'm very excited to watch it i'm um, directed by brad and brad anderson who directed the machinist trans-siberian mm. uh the call which was that movie with halle berry and abigail breslin from like 2012 i don't think i saw it she's like a phone operator and then someone gets kidnapped i don't know it did I, not look I great. bet there's a call but Brett oh Anderson yeah no i remember i remember seeing the trailer here. for that yeah exactly the trailer was everywhere ads were all over the city sure uh he also directed a few episodes of a tv show called zoo ah yes zoo i think he did orangutans and bumblebees those two eps 
I think I saw both those apps. I just pulled that out of my ass. I oh. do not know if those were Okay, because I think bees, there's a, a big, huge plot line with bees in one of the episodes. And I think I episode, assume it's more like three or four animals that appear. Uh-huh. They just get like calls. It's like the magic school bus, like trying to take itself seriously. I never, I never want to watch Zoo. I just want to have you describe the episodes to me because okay. that is just so endlessly entertaining. <laughs> you talking about these animal outbreaks and this weird sci-fi show that didn't I, last more than eight episodes. Yeah, and those are based on on books i think oh yeah i think that makes that makes sense yeah because that's 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 how you would make a show like this because you just pitched it cold people were like fucking no that's so stupid brad anderson also wrote this movie along with steven gavenden who is an actor in this movie he plays mike so we can look out for that okay and this is his only writing credit he's like a tv actor and he just co-wrote this movie with his director they must be old buddies or something and they and made it he yeah starred in it and he started it, and mm. it's like the only only thing he did, only thing he wrote. He's he's acted in a bunch, but oh, okay, that's kind of yeah. cool. And we also <laughs> have Josh Lucas in this from A Beautiful Mind and American Psycho. Yeah. He's just the most recognizable dude. Yes, he is. He's great. Yeah, and David Caruso from CSI Miami. If you picture CSI Miami, he's that's him. He's just that, that guy, blonde dude in his fifties. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Looking askance across the beach. Sure. Yeah. 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 I got. I got his face. Nice. I don't watch a lot of CSI. But Neither do I, you. but I've seen that poster everywhere. Okay. The CSI I do watch is SVU, and it's fucking fantastic. If there was a CSI that it did for oh. a stretch, it was SVU. Oh. How do you... There's so there's like 20 seasons of it now. Yeah, just, I mean, on like the 70th, like, brutally raped and murdered, like, how do you keep... I've become... That's a great question. I've become desensitized to it now. Oh, at good. First, yeah, <laughs> very good to condition ourselves to just not flinch at that kind of horrific crime. Um, I felt that way at first because Christy was the one who just kept watching it, and I'd like watch one episode, and then the next one would come on, and they'd be like, "How can you keep doing this? It's it's yeah. every time it's going to be like a child gets abducted or raped or something. Yeah. Every episode, mm-hmm. and then just eventually you just come to love the task force and the characters and everything, and you just get really hooked on." The formula because it's such yeah that's it's what such it a is. cookie cutter just like watching a cooking show or something like yeah. that or any kind of reality Your tv house yeah it's yeah. got its beats and its rhythms yeah. and you're just kind of looking forward to yeah. seeing all those boxes get checked like every episode is essentially the same just a different yeah. crime infused into it chief we got something weird here and then it starts turning like oh maybe they can figure this one out mm-hmm. and some are darker than others but oh, yeah i know yeah that's well that's why i stopped watching it I remember making a conscious decision. It's just like one day I remember like, you know, catching the last few minutes of the Simpsons and then, mm-hmm. you know, SVU comes on. Burr, burr. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'll give it a shot. I No, the opposite. Like, I don't think I'm going to make this transition again tonight. I think it's sad. SVU follows the Simpsons. That's there was nuts. There was a time. Mm. And I remember having that thought. I'm like, nah, I'm going to, or I switched from the Simpsons to the next channel. So the, yeah. That must have, well, that must have been reruns of the Simpsons on uh-huh. NBC or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah. But uh, I remember going like, no, I don't think I can put myself through another uh-huh. hour of this tonight after The Simpsons. A stronger man than I. Yeah, so I'm done. Well, I mean, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> I couldn't stomach it anymore, <laughs> so I quit. I yeah. Kept watching my cartoons. It's a good call. Mm-hmm. Cartoons are fun. Yeah. This, this Dave and Christery. What did we watch, Christery? This Dave and Christery. I got <laughs> loved ones. Oh, awesome! Loved ones. Mm-hmm. That's one of the one of my favorites. Yeah, we you put did. it. You put it on your top eleven mm-hmm. of all time in mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. special episode. Friggin' loved it. Um, did you notice I said top eleven? I did. I went back. You you named eleven movies. 
when we said, okay, name, if we had to pick right now, you know, it's been a year in the podcast. Um, what's what's your top 10 favorite horror movies of all time? And you named 11. I just said 11. You said 11 because you were, you were clearly like looking at the list on your phone that you were narrowing down, but you didn't eliminate I an didn't, 11th one. I didn't narrow it. Yeah. So you have 11 all-time horror movies. So I'd be curious which one you would eliminate. <laughs> all right. Well, Scary Cats, just for the future, that's a good way to beat the system is when you're, you've you been given rules, just don't follow them. Yeah. And don't number. If you're, <laughs> if you're told to give a list, don't number it as you're saying the entries on that list. Do you remember where I loved ones was on my list? I think that you were saying them alphabetically. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sweet. So who knows what I would eliminate? I just watched Loved Ones with Christy for the first time a few weeks ago, and nice. she loved it. Yeah, it was, yeah. that's yeah. one of the horror movies she would probably like. Yeah, it's and it's just a more accessible horror movie. Super palatable, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It, um, man, there's so many great scenes. I really frequently think about the scene where he's in the tree and they're throwing rocks at him, because mm-hmm. like that moment... like It's a moment of, of just insanity and just hilarity. Pure, unbelievable insanity, and yeah. just showing like how feeble he is, like how in control, but like weirdly sadistically... Like, yeah. It shows their relationship really well. It's just like a really good jumping off point to understand all these characters in this yeah, moment. Because the everything like you feel he's so trapped inside there when he's mm-hmm. literally tied to the chair. And then you have this moment where he's out of the house. He's free. He's yeah. up in a tree and yeah. they're throwing rocks at him. And you're like, just climb down and get the fuck out of there. Like it's yeah. just this confusing moment in terms of his situation. He goes full squirrel instincts and he, <laughs> <laughs> he's just up the tree. He's like, shit. And the the father and daughter just seem to like start having fun with it. They're like, laughing. Throwing rocks. They're laughing. They're yeah. giggling. Like, yeah. And yeah. she tries and like, despite herself, like giggles really hard because mm-hmm. she finds it fun. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a great, weird, super creepy moment with this fake air of brevity. I just love it. Just super light, super funny, super mm-hmm. gross. Awesome. I think about that the most, I think, when I think about loved ones. For me, it's probably um, her just walking down the street, clinching to her scrapbook, which she loves so much, and like with a kitchen with, knife with in hand, knife, yeah. just like under her breath. Because she's just going straight forward yeah. to kill his just girlfriend. Walking. To <laughs> kill her. Walking. Like yeah. Kilometers and kilometers. <laughs> it's bright as day now. Like yeah. that's, that's so funny. Yeah. So, oh, man. That's such a good movie. That's one mm-hmm. of the best that we've ever done on this podcast. It was a real nice surprise because we did Devil's Candy first. First, and then yeah. went back to that one. Yeah. Yep. Sean Byrne, man. He, in, he impresses. Definitely check out Loved Ones if you haven't seen it yet, listeners. Mm-hmm. Loved Ones is awesome. I guess now it's time for a little segment we like to call Scare and Game Corner. <laughs> Scare and tell. Song Scare and, and do, tell. Do, 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 do. Scare and tell. For my Scare and Tell, I went and saw a movie called Hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't heard of this. Who's in it? Uh, Tony Collette. <laughs> um, yeah. This is a fun one. So I went and saw that with my sister and brother-in-law and they loved it and i tried to look out for more things that we didn't talk about or things that we were trying to solve from the last time so i think we can go through some of these here we go Um, hashing out time and these aren't coherent i just walked out of the movie and put a bunch of notes on my phone so i'm just going to read them in order and we'll see oh wow what possibly comes from this (laughs) We we had a late night last night, and this is this is hurting a lot today. Yeah, scary cats. This one's for you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not for us. Let's do this. Okay, there's an amazing after the dad catches on fire, and mm-hmm. I can barely see you. Should we turn a light on? I don't know why it's been so dark it's in so here. So dark. <laughs> there we go. 
That changes everything, having a human light on. It's been weird. I'm like, it actually is very fitting for Hereditary, because yeah. I can barely see you right. in the corner there. Oh, nice. But so that must be like what all the cave people were like when they were podcasting. Oh. It's in their caves with no no electric lights. Right, yeah. Bef- the time before fire and electricity when they were podcasting. Yeah, when they were just recording their thoughts about movies. <laughs> 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 they got like like little mic stands that are just rocks. <laughs> just rocks. Caveman podcasters. I love it. <laughs> love it. Um, right after the dad catches on fire, I didn't really notice this. Um, after the dad catches on fire and Paimon goes into the mom mm-hmm. whenever her face drops and everything. Yeah, there's just another establishing shot of the house from outside. And you see like 20 naked cult members just tiny standing like around yeah. the house looking at it. I didn't, never noticed that shot before. Yeah, I was. I tried to like awkwardly make that point um, mm-hmm. in the recording, but I think I got a little trampled over. Right. But yeah, that was like, I did rec- like see that too, like that zoomed out shot. I didn't realize it happened right after she got possessed, but like there's, they're well, like there's just... a ton. There's a ton of shots throughout the film of just the house and the exterior, but that one has like 20 cult members yeah. standing around the house. I wanted, I wanted to mention that to you when we were in the theater, because that, this is so off, but like when I was pitching to you, like my snowman movie uh-huh. before it got stolen from me, yeah, um, I had this image of a bunch of snowmen just appearing overnight and standing around a house and looking in, yeah. and I wanted to look over to you in the theater and say, it's like, just like my snowman movie, <laughs> but with naked, weird cultists. Absolutely. And it really looked like Antichrist in that moment, just with a bunch of people on oh, a, yeah. in a oh, forest. Oh, yeah. I just forgot the end of Antichrist until right now. And those establishing shots throughout the film, half of them are like i think half of them are actual shots of the house and the other half are miniatures of a forest and a house i was wondering i was wondering if they did more stuff with miniatures that we just didn't realize exactly and it's just i think it's meant to be just subtle enough that you're you don't notice it fully but there's a few that are definitely just miniatures of the house and not the house and then there are shots that are the house oh my god so it might be interesting to track okay, well, what scenes are after the miniature ones? What scenes are after? Like, maybe there's something there that he's doing as well. Maybe. But there are definitely a bunch of miniature shots of the house from the exterior. That is so awesome. I want to I go through and see the parts where I was fooled into thinking uh-huh. I was actually looking at a house. Totally. Not and a little miniature. the big screen definitely will probably help for that more than trying to watch it sure. on your TV later. And you're, you are going to go back. 100%. It's going to happen. Um, at the funeral, someone approaches the casket and puts like a little something on the grandma's lips. Yes, right, right. What was we that? didn't talk about that. No, we didn't. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It doesn't... I can't think of anything else it connects to. It's, I guess, just a weird, creepy part of the ritual that isn't really addressed and is just meant to kind of make you uncomfortable and yeah, like, what what's happening. Like, I, I think that's part of it. And part of the appeal of this movie is uh-huh. that there are aspects to the ritual and the mythology that were just not told, were just shown. Mm-hmm. And that leaves you so curious and unsettled. Yeah. And it's very effective. But then, like, as we talked talked the story through, things that could have just been as a creepy moment were, like, really justified in either this is the stance that Paimon, like, would take in mm-hmm. those images yep. or, you know, this is justified by the fact that, you know, the grandmother and this Joan knew each other, you know, well before they ever, whatever. Like, there's all these little things that seem like it could just be a creepy thing that, as we hashed it out, like, seemed very, very deliberate and, like, they were supposed to happen. So I wonder if it's way, maybe way more deliberate than what we're seeing, you know? Like, if we look into it and, or somebody's going to have some really good, like, Yeah, maybe insight. If, you, if you do background into the yeah. actual ritual. Because the other things that fit that category, too, are 
when she's at Joan's house for the first time and drinking tea, she pulls like a little flake out of her tongue that was in the teacup. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I didn't did. talk about that either. You're right. Like this, this kind of quick moment, and it it just looks like a small little a black little. chunk. Yeah. So I thought it was like a tea leaf. Yeah. So my my best guess is that this is like a part of the corpse of the grandma or something, and Ooh. then this is put in, and she has to ingest that, and Joan is making her do this as part of the ritual too. Oh but shit. That's just pure speculation. Like just like the lips thing, we're not given anything in the movie. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is something if we research Paimon and the actual ritual yeah. that's out there. Or in the background of some scene or apartment, there was a little bottle that was labeled like Yeah. You wonder if there's something really deep. Just cause I just now don't know. It feels like any moment in this movie I thought was like not necessarily dead weight, but like just empty, you know? Uh-huh. Just like a minute to rest and you don't have to be taking it in too much. Yeah. Like maybe it's very, very intentional. Totally. But I also, there's something appealing to me about making a movie and doing exactly that, where half of the things you leave enough clues for people to figure out, but then you leave a few with no clues and you're just meant. So that way you keep that constant thread that, or that constant feeling of, I don't have this all figured out. Otherwise you can, if you could clearly put together every scene in the movie, it would be a little more boring. I think I I I like, I like that there's always a few ingredients that will just be puzzling forever. It just seems a little bit larger than a contained little in the box story. Yeah, exactly. I see what you mean. All right. Oh, and then with that note, too, the, we didn't talk about the word scribbles all over the house. No. Yeah, which apparently Ari Aster research, and they are actual, like, part of the incantations to summon Paimon. Like, those words are a big part of it. Wow. And he, when he was doing the research, he just freaked himself out at a certain point and had to stop. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Went too deep. But those, yeah, those words are scribbled around, and the mom notices them, like, notices one set of words above Charlie's bed. Yeah. And doesn't really do, a, like, doesn't really, like, just kind of looks at it and then just kind of moves on she doesn't really so that's creepy yeah you you can tell she's putting stuff together but you know she doesn't immediately when she sees something that is potentially threatening she she kind of takes it in and then just keeps moving Mm -hmm. like and then later uses it to justify it like to her husband to try to say like this is what's going on these words were scribbled in blank's room and then this this see look it's in this old thing with joan and joan knew her before like she collects all the information clearly and uses it to try to make her point when she needs to yeah but doesn't necessarily do it something about it right when she sees that stuff on the wall totally just so creepy totally and when she's freaking out her husband she is talking specifically about the attic and like the paimon symbol that's there yeah yeah yeah. but with those words around she's also when she's working on her miniature there's a scene where she's writing writing a word on the miniature like one of the words that she saw on the wall yeah like behind a bed or something like yeah putting it in the right place in the room so that could be just her um like grieving charlie and because she saw this thing written on charlie's wall she's trying to get it the yeah. miniature to be a perfect reflection of what her room was because yeah, she assumed charlie wrote that on her wall i'll yeah. put it in the miniature version yeah and it could be one of these weird sleepwalky possessy states oh my god yeah we gotta get into that a little bit more um so also next one on my list when Anne dowd there's one scene where it parallels an earlier scene where you see charlie um, cut off the head of the pigeon and then she looks mm. across the parking lot and there's a creepy woman who just kind of like does a weird hand thing at yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, Which I think is like maybe a Paimon, the Paimon hand. Okay. Which is one of Paimon's free hands. One of his gestures of yeah. something. Yeah, she smiles. This random woman that we never see again smiles at Charlie and makes this like hand symbol. Mm-hmm. But then later in the movie, Anne Dowd is there and Charlie is just sitting on a picnic table alone and Anne Dowd is yelling at 
sorry, Peter, Peter is yelling, is yelling at, at him. Peter, Peter. And she's saying, I cast you out. I cast you out. Casting Peter, Peter out of his own body. Out of his own body. It's like yeah. a reverse exorcism. Yeah. Like your it's body. It's an evil exorcism. Yeah. It's like your body is going to be a host for Paimon. So I need to cast you and your soul out of this body. Yeah. Which is so good. That was. Yeah. That's awesome. And she's like yelling those nonsense words at him. Like and just doing the spell at him. And yeah. And no one else is noticing. Yeah. That was and, really terrifying. And it's affecting him. Like, if you watch his performance, he's just kind of, like, snapping around. And you can tell that, yeah. like, the spell is actually making his soul kind of, like, jolt around inside Internally. his body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's driving it out. It's amazing. Yeah, wow. Um, looking at Charlie. Oh, so I, I watched very closely because we had a big discussion about, is Paimon, like, in one body? Does beheading, like, allow him to hop around? Mm-hmm. And it seems that... It seems that Paimon does have kind of like a primary host at all times that it's it's embodying, but it's also external to that. It can do the lighty thing while it's still technically in one person's body. So we never see a That's, moment where it goes <clears throat> in the pigeon. My brain wanted that to happen, but it didn't. Okay. Um, but when it's technically in Charlie, we also see it outside doing other things at the same time. And then once Charlie's beheaded, I think then, yeah, Paimon is kind of free again. Mm-hmm. And I think the spell that um Joni gives to Annie to yell or or to try to summon like under the guise that she's going to be able to talk to Charlie. I yeah. think that spell brings Paimon into the book. Into the book okay. itself. And okay. that's why we have all those scenes with the book just kind of writing these images. Yeah. I think Paimon is technically possessing that at that moment. And then that's why when the book gets burned, the spirit is free and then can go into Annie. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and that like connects the book into it a little bit more. So she was right about the kind of trying to destroy the book, or or she was getting something there. there. She yeah. was getting there to well, and that's so that's a whole other thing is that um, Annie's intentions, everything that she thinks she's doing to save the family, is actually perfectly setting up yeah all the thing that's supposed to happen. So she's like, I gotta burn the book. I gotta burn the book, and she thinks that it's just to end the spirit, but really it's to free Paimon again and bring it into her own body. Right. Yeah. Because I guess the ritual is such that first Paimon needs to be brought into an object and then can be brought into I, i'm not sure but right we're getting there though like we're getting the there. exact steps like for those of us who want to try it at home exactly we're getting <laughs> to, we're getting to the point where we can deliver the instructions step by step Still a little foggy yeah but w- even when it's like in a thing like while it's technically in the book at that moment or whatever we still have those scenes like peter's in the classroom and you see the light going into the reflection yeah yeah, and yeah. paimon is like possessing the reflection Smiling. of him essentially that was really good. Really yeah. creepy. Yeah, the, yeah. His own reflection was just smiling back at him. Yeah. But he was not smiling. He, he didn't was... smile at a certain point in the movie. And he is like, even on this watching, he's just such a phenomenal actor and it's such an yeah. amazing performance that the sun gives. Yeah. And everybody. To, uh-huh. Just holy shit. There's a bunch of other animal heads on Joan's table in that scene where we, where she's like, Joan, I need to talk to you. And then okay. we show um, uh, Peter's picture in the center of the table. Yeah. There's all these little other animal heads. So I think just decapitation in general is a thing that Paimon wants. Okay. And like cutting off other animals. Sacrifices, so, maybe giving him more power, putting up those words in the house, you know. Yeah. All just little ingredients. To, increases his bounds of, you know, influence. Totally. Um, I was expecting to to see like the dog's head there at some point, mm. but yeah, that doesn't happen. So theoretically, when we see the dog just laying outside in the grass near the end of the movie, it's dead. I and I couldn't see a head on the dog, like it, the oh, way no? that it's shot. So I'm wondering if the dog is decapitated. Oh, I know it's dark, but yeah, but we know this. Dogs generally don't do well in horror movies. Uh huh. It's very true. Um, I think Ari Aster is the voice of the director of the art exhibit. 
Oh. When, cool. he's, when he's calling <laughs> cool. and saying like, hey, you know, we're thinking about you, your inner thoughts and prayers. And also like, just how's the how's the thing coming? You know, yeah. when he's yeah, trying yeah, to pressure yeah. her. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Ari Aster's voice uncredited. That's cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then also breastfeeding. Because they uh, seem to right, show yeah. that the grandmother is breast like breastfed Charlie. And Annie doesn't even really, like she says it, but she doesn't really like acknowledge or is told by others like, wait, your grandmother breastfed Charlie? But that's the thing that happened. Huh. And when they show the miniature, like after she sees her grandmother, yeah, yeah. she flips the thing. It's um, it's little dolls of the grandmother presenting her breast For, and to Charlie. Yeah, to Charlie. Because the mom is and Annie's in bed holding Charlie and the grandmother is showing up there with her breast. So somehow like breastfeeding yeah. is tied into this as well. And that to me was like, it was either one of those throwaway images or just like a... Mm-hmm. A simple metaphor for like th- this was the character right. in Charlie's yes. life who was the mother to her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, breastfeeding as just a raising and nurturing. Yeah, of exactly. Charlie. Totally to be representative of the whole experience uh-huh. of sort of being the mother of in this evil way. Absolutely. So yeah, that's wow. all. That's all I got on my phone Fish. from walking out there. But each time you watch, there's going to be something that clicks a little bit more i think yeah i want to so like when charlie was in the room just um talking about paimon's like light ring appearing and going places and making them look places mm-hmm. did you get any like better indication of how it worked in that one scene where charlie's making the doll yeah and then there's light that happens the bird hits the window there's the scissors that she looks at yeah that's what i mean like the while paimon does always seem to have a specific host that it's in throughout the movie mm. like it's somewhat in Charlie from the get-go, and then Charlie dies, and then I think the book, then Anne, and then ultimately Peter, while it's always locked primarily in one of those things, it's mm. still external to it, and it can still do the light trickies thing. It has powers outside of that. Yeah, because while it's technically in Charlie for that whole beginning, because Charlie's doing yeah. the talk sound for the whole movie. Yeah, like yeah The yeah. whole beginning of the movie, she's always doing that at the funeral home and everything, yet she still sees the light playing around. Yeah. So somehow Paimon is inside, but also doing the light tricky thing. Seems so like, yeah, it has, yeah. It isn't like embodied by that light, but uses it as a... Yeah, it's somehow both and neither, or both yeah. and either at, throughout the movie. And that's one thing that was a little more clear. This, like when we were watching it, I, we wanted that to be airtight. We yeah, wanted right. either the light to be possessing or external to it, yeah. but it's both at the same time. Or yeah, that's just that visually mm-hmm. is a hint that Paimon is acting in some way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in that scene, like Charlie's just putting the thing together and already cut off the head of the one thing because mm-hmm. technically she is Paimon. Yeah. The light draws her to the window and she looks out the window and that's what makes her walk down and she sees, I assume, her grandmother that's what it sitting like. down in front of like a ring of fire or something or a yeah. bunch of things, right? Yeah. And then she kind of snaps out of it and Annie's like, what are you doing out here barefoot? And brings her back. But for some reason, Paimon is being like summoned out by the blue light in Charlie to see her grandmother kneeling there in the fire. That's like, it's it's a great, it's so kneeling well shot. in the fire. In front of the fire. So is that after like the cultists had dug up her grandmother? And, Definitely. Like, take, take, took her out there and probably that was the ceremony where they beheaded her and burned her? Could be, could like, be. Like that was happening right there? It could be because she's sitting there unburned in front of flames, but that's yeah. all we get. So it totally could be that. That seems like the beginning of how the next time we see her body is headless and burned up. And burned up, yeah. Totally. Ooh. So something else is happening there, which is great that they don't 
show every little beat along the way yeah. but i think you're totally right oh that's so cool yeah i yeah there's those are the little things that i didn't think about the little fleck in the tea mm-hmm. that really stands out the, th- the stuff on the lips the grandma out in the field with the fire because there's so much we there's talked for so one much. hour about all the different things and yeah now we just talked for another half hour essentially about, about hereditary yeah on this very exciting uh, episode about session nine yes <laughs> uh so yeah i guess um i, I I've seen it three times now, and I'm pretty satiated. I don't know if I'll go back a fourth time. Maybe in a few weeks, I'll be jonesing yeah. for a little bit more. Or if but you find somebody who hasn't seen it who wants to. That's it. Every time that I've seen it has been with someone else. And yeah. it's so exciting to go into the theater and just wait for those moments, right? Yeah. I almost yesterday actually convinced Jody to go see it. Uh-huh. But instead, we landed on Quiet Place. Man, even like my sister does not do well in horror movies at all, and she did okay in Hereditary. Like it's mm-hmm. not it's not jump scary, and I think that helps for a lot of people. The fact that it's way more kind of dread inducing. There are yeah. one or two jump moments for sure, but you're able to recover from that. And the part of you that's like agitated and needs to jump out of your seat and protect yeah. yourself, yeah, like that gets to settle down between those jump scares. Totally. So even though you're still feeling uncomfortable and stuff, it's not the same very i don't know adrenaline induced like yeah like that yeah that makes it super hard to yeah. to stay still it's it's very scary but it's watchable for a lot of people yeah. who normally can't watch scary movies because it's the jump scares that mm-hmm. make make it unwatchable for them because they know something's going to yell at them and that yeah. feeling is it's like it's a different kind of scary yeah. it's like an unpleasantness and it prevents them from wanting to see those movies. And it like feeds into itself too. Like that can just, if you're so on edge that you're jumpy and then things are jumping at you, mm-hmm. you're going to get worse and worse. And that's an agitated feeling, not a, not a satisfyingly scared or creeped out feeling. Totally. Yeah, I, I get it. I get those super oppressive movies. That's kind of what happened. Not that it's full of jump scares, but that's kind of what happened when we watched um, Strangers. Like the first one, like mm. it was just too much the high pressure yeah. never letting you down always every time somebody moves there's a masked person behind where they were standing like it was just too much yeah 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 that's a real thing turn off <laughs> movies for that reason but yes going back to hereditary it doesn't do that it's, no that's not the somehow, somehow it's more scary but more watchable or accessible yeah because it's paradoxical way it's not playing on those surfacey you know just tension-based scares it's mm-hmm. building this deep dark perfect storm in your guts nice that's what it scares you with that was a a good big long talk about hereditary but now we're gonna watch a very different movie about an asylum yeah hopefully nice and creepy as well all right so tune in after the chainsaw noise for more talk about hereditary So I think I'm definitely conflating um, Session 9 with Case 39, which like came around at the same time. Case 39. I'm Did you ever watch that one? It just like with the same with Session 9, like I'm just not Maybe. sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I know. It's kind of a blur. Especially if it's similar to this movie. I feel like I've watched, you know, two dozen. Ones that are in the same vein. Similar kind of. Yeah, and this is still in that kind of 90s obsession with multiple personality disorder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, at an asylum. It's in a motel. Mm-hmm. It's like just somebody as many personalities at once. Exactly. And yeah, it's like I almost felt it was building up towards an ending like identity. 
where you realize all the characters are the different are the personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was going to be where it was going, and that it was all in like this person, Mary Mary Hobbs. Yeah, that yeah. this was all just going to be Mary Hobbs, and we were going to like be there. You know, I thought that would have been kind of an interesting way to take it. Sure. Yeah, I knew it was coming. Like when I said, like the it kind of worked on me at the end. Mm-hmm. Like finding out that, like you know, he didn't just slap his wife; he killed them, and he killed everybody in the whole crew. Yeah, that like solitary, like you know. 10 minute sequence is what I like took. You from remember the movie. that being very effective. Yeah. Or at least like watching it now or maybe like justifying like the past hour and 20. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, well I definitely, I think it was like an hour 30 hour 40, but I, I was still like, I was never really bored. I was still kind of entertained with the characters and the dialogue and the random little tension and exploring this building a little bit. It moves along well enough. Like, I, I think that they've got just enough story between all these guys, like, or at least enough tension between them all to, like, make it interesting when they're, you know, yeah. saying their shit. But <clears throat> I don't know. It doesn't It doesn't offer a tremendous amount. I guess maybe now that, you know, the market's saturated with different takes on I think that's it. I think, identity. like, I think maybe in 2001 when it came out, it might have been more effective like maybe it was this is a kind of a case of oh you had to be there just because we've had so many different versions of this now yeah that kind of flooded our brain yeah like because there are a few good like sequences that i can recall like just jumping into the middle like when he's um the kid who's scared of the dark is downstairs running and Mm -hmm. and the lights are going out behind him like i feel like i've seen that too a lot yeah it was it was a pretty good you know use of that type of sequence there Mm -hmm. you know it, it did feel somewhat anticlimactic. Like there wasn't like a huge, I, I wasn't very scared. I was more like, I was interested, but I wasn't very scared mm-hmm. this whole movie. There wasn't like any kind of big, huge, terrifying scenes. I feel like a few minor moments, but yeah, there wasn't any sequences that I'm like, holy shit, what's going to happen right now? Yeah, they didn't. They, they spent most of their time like building up the story and what has happened in all of its like different mm-hmm. iterations, like to all the different characters, but not enough time, like, you know, giving that like spiky thing that goes in the eye not building that up enough or, you know, like threatening it early. Mm-hmm. Like they, sh- they save everything for that last little sequence. So it, yeah, it, it seems like a lot of kind of scrambly ideas. So the, I mean the hook thing, they tease that nicely with the guy threatening it to the yeah, new the, kid, the, the chopstick, Yeah, with the chopstick kind of going there. So that's, that's a nice little bit of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. but even like really this whole story about Mary and the different personalities, it doesn't really tie in overly to, what's actually happening with this asbestos crew like i guess no. it's just that well that last line uh like that i uh infect or use the weak and you know stressed i guess you know that 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 sort of makes up the whole the whole concept here is that this guy with his wife and kid and trying to get you know get jobs and stuff is so stressed out and is finally showing cracks that he never had before yeah and they go into this place and he gets targeted by this spirit or whatever. And I guess it's the spirit of Mary Hobbs that's still kind of lingering. Um, I don't know. It suggests like the way that um, the spirit said like. What spirit? Or, sorry. In the recording, Simon mm-hmm. um, at the end said like, um, and I told them to do it and they always yeah. listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a recurring thing. Yeah. So is it like just that the spirit of Simon is still this and now it's kind of latching on to the main guy or is the main guy just also kind of suffering the same kind of thing? Like there has to be some kind of I d- connection I d- between I think it's Mary Hobbs and the main guy. Yeah. And I think it's the place. I think the asylum where Mary Hobbs ended up and died eventually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is where that, that spirit landed 
because he would have been in Mary. And then yeah. she died in this asylum. Now the asylum's abandoned and finally people show up and there's this weak, you know, tumultuous person who's on the brink. Yeah. Spirit infects. And I guess he, so, yeah. He like reproduces that like room full of like, you know, images, like pictures and stuff that were all, like all stuck up in Mary's room. He like reproduces it with pictures of his own like family and friends and stuff. I, I guess that's all we can piece together is that Mary is now just entering this dude. Like if there's that moment when they They're first enter. And he looks over and he sees the wheelchair and then you hear this, the voiceover, which doesn't date, isn't, <laughs> doesn't age too well. No. But the voiceover is just like, hello, Gordon. And that moment, it's just like Simon from Mary is now just going to like yeah. make Gordon the next subject of. Yeah. And, and Simon is bidden. Yeah. Simon seems like it's just this very suggestive, like telling people what to do all the time. And the weak ones listen and do terrible, terrible things to mm-hmm. one another, which is pretty gross. And I mean. It's it's hard to be enthusiastic about this one just because like seeing it after having seen, you know, other movies that have done this very similar thing like mm-hmm. takes away that punch which I is kind of all it's got. Like it, and that punch is just very much again this late 90s early 2000s yeah. like identity secret window hide and seek yeah. where the whole thrill of the movie was just that kind of twist at the end of oh well what's actually happening who's got the who's like yes. in control here what's really behind all that and at that time that was a very trendy satisfying thing to do with the film sure and this is very much in that context yeah like it just fits so much into a cliche that I know of like who's Simon I, I I've never met Simon it's like okay Simon some big terrible thing mm-hmm. so you're just kind of waiting for it with a bit of a groan. Yeah, so ultimately unsatisfying, and too bad because I do love the set so much. That's the best, like the best part, without a doubt, is that huge set that's so gross, grimy, falling apart, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in weird ways, super colorful. Like we get a lot of outside shots, a lot of daytime shots. Like, Some rooms are in worse conditions than others, but it's still so fun to navigate throughout this big building. It's it's a little frustrating that they really are just kind of in the same two three rooms the yeah. entire time when they have to do somehow this insane building between five people in a week is just, it's unfathomable. That catches my brain so much. (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? Three weeks minimum. How could you ever, even three weeks seemed ludicrous for five people for this giant place. Like, what are you talking about? And then on top of that, when they make the bonus (laughs) offer and now they're all motivated to hustle a little, a little, a little bit, the majority of the time we see them, they're just kind of taking breaks and sitting around and talking about shit. You you don't know what Hank was like back in the day. Like that just kept coming up. Like that's what they would do instead of working and trying to get that bonus. They would just shoot the shit about how about the good times. They did not seem like a group of people that were hustling. They seemed like a people that were just really taking it easy on this job. Yeah. Just like people who couldn't be bothered, you know, no matter what, like they don't, they don't get the point across that this like bonus is worth it. You know, I think if they did that and there was like a real motivation, like they could start twisting the knife with the audience being like, Oh, I want these guys who are clearly down on their luck, who clearly need this bonus to get it. And yeah, this but, is what they showed us. It didn't, it didn't seem like that yeah. at all. Even the first day when they're, it's like they're taking a long extended lunch break. One guy's reading underneath a tree and then yeah. they bring up the concept of the bonus and then they still chill for a bunch. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day when it's still daylight, so they haven't even been there that much longer than you'd imagine for a group that's really trying to work overtime. Yeah. They're packing up the car and they're like, that was a good day one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't i couldn't live with that like knowing that i'm like cutting this job into like a third of the time it needs mm. a bunch of lazy dudes like that is just the starting point for like anxiety but they didn't like they didn't show that enough like nobody seemed to care that much about the bonus like i want my bonus like it's it was said twice but like it wasn't 
Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't show like, whoa, really? That much? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's a lot of like little kind of half ideas and good good things that can move a plot forward that none are really fully committed to. Yeah, ex- exactly, and like exactly, it seems like a half-hearted attempt at doing that. Because if they had shown like mm-hmm. in that like the importance of this money to these people, like I may have begun to get interested early on, and then when like power goes out, that would seem like so much more of a a problem. Totally. And even the power going out, like they have this generator. We don't really have too much attention drawn to it throughout. It just runs out of gas. Just runs out of gas. Yeah. Again, I feel like the whole thing is just, all right, here's, this is the script. I wrote a script for case 39. And in the end, it'll all be like Gordon will be the one going crazy and he kills everyone. Yep. And 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 that's everything kind of hinges on that. Says like some quick little throwaway thing about, you know, right place at the wrong time or something yeah. like to try to give they really hammer that home <laughs> yeah to try to give like the the audience some like see we this is all planned you know this is mm-hmm. this is all coming together with some sort of philosophy but mm-hmm. that's just a way to get away with the fact that nothing happens until the end where you're like all right and now all at once everybody's going to be a victim totally in one sequence that's broken up through obnoxious exposition even even like some of the things that they don't really fully commit to are very appealing and i was very excited to see where they were going to go like josh lucas being in the basement in the dark and finding all those coins and then digging that and the coins go into the back of like an oven or something i'm like what's what's this all about exactly yeah we get we get nothing about from that yeah i was i was like wondering if it was some cool thing where like people were getting burned up and all their like rich belongings but then they know they had their little tags on the glasses and stuff you know Mm -hmm. and the the glass was still in them so clearly that's not what happened that amounted to nothing because it was so exciting just seeing the trail of coins that led him there in the first place i'm like oh where's this going yeah is are the spirits here gonna be pissed off he's taking their coins why are there coins It, it really just acted as like a visual device for gordon later in the movie to find people yeah i just can't help but feel and maybe again because i didn't we didn't see this or i didn't see this in 2001 um grave encounters just does so much more exciting things with a very similar idea absolutely i was thinking grave encounters the whole time yeah the basement where they're doing the lobotomies and grave encounters where you're constantly going like there's an end there's an end room that they kind of finally get to where that really is serves as an effective climax of the movie that we didn't really get in this one absolutely in the building yeah. yeah they just didn't yeah, they didn't have anything really exciting to do with it, the story that they were telling. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, for me personally going through, they didn't create stakes. Like, they didn't really make you love any of these characters. They didn't really show their motivations too much. No, there's a weird uh, possessive ex-girlfriend thing where one guy is rubbing yeah. in his face like, I'm sleeping with the girl you yeah. used to sleep with. And that was, like, really ineffective. Yeah, and this guy's dead weight. We need to get him off the team. You're just jealous. And then he's like... And then we got like the fake out that he might have been the bad guy, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. but just that's not what it was. It was just his own jealousy. Like, what if he's supposed to be in Miami? Why would he be here? She said he's in Miami. Don't give him the phone. Don't mm-hmm. let him call her. Like, all that was like so like blunt and totally. suspicious. But because they're overall pretty good performers, like pretty yeah, good actors yeah, yeah, yeah. in this, it ga- it allowed me to give them the benefit of the doubt the whole time, even though it. Mm they didn't reward that and it didn't pay off yeah. the whole time. I'm like, Oh, what is actually going on? What is the drama? What is his family going to be like? Like what did happen with his wife? Yeah. Because they kept teasing that and they gave it a great performance to imply that something more substantial was there. Yeah. You, when you're watching the whole movie, you're on board and then it just ultimately is a letdown. I, I think you're right. Kind of like some pretty good cinematography tricks you some pretty good actors able to like really deliver their lines mm-hmm. and some, you know, here and there, not very many, but, 
pretty good freaky image, like um, that figure at the end of the dark hallway that like steps into frame. Yeah, which, yeah, that's such a tease. And ultimately, because I've gone, they flip you a few times, but that never really happened. That was all just in Gordon's head, seeing him talk to two other people. No, he was buying marijuana from them. He was buying marijuana. What? Yeah. When when did that get explained? Well, he was, he was smoking it. That's, and that was weed? That wasn't tobacco? Well, yeah, it, it was weed. Um, it, because also he, they said earlier that like Gordon's rules are um, no something, no drugs. Like they say it pretty clearly when they're delivering okay, the rules okay. too. So it seems like at least that's the only thing I can make sense of. Because then it shows him smoking it twice and like... Yeah, you I'll know, buy it. It's a terrible out. joint. He's a terrible roller of marijuana. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> That's our biggest gripe with this movie. Uh, the whole movie, yeah. Um, and then also, they tease with the, the horrific tale at the beginning of like the blood orgy and mm-hmm. uh, eating the infant. Are we to supposed to put together that he also ate his baby in that final scene? Because that, that would be a, a great horrible dark place for it to go. That would be. They didn't, they didn't overly spoon feed it, but because they set up those stakes at the very beginning mm. they set up that scenario at the very beginning yeah it leads me to think oh it would make sense for them to have followed through with that at the end yeah if if he did he, i can say i remember when they're talking about it they say like they cut out the infant's heart or something they cut out the infant's heart the mom drank the blood and the others ate the flesh that's oh what God. yeah that's what they said about it but it, it was like just a story and i don't know or I is that like when did that happen too like that he's like, talking about he was uh, like a court case that ended up like determining that like to shut down the institutions. Like it was, it was yeah. around that he was talking about why these institutions all shut down. Right. Okay. But there was also like a fake out element. Again, like a lot of weird half ideas that exactly. aren't fully. That's what it is, man. Fleshed out. Yeah. You know. Top to bottom in this movie is like just an incomplete either mm-hmm. thought or execution of that thought mm-hmm. or, or just attention paid to executing that thought. It's just too bad. It's a really, really good setup. Yeah, really good setup, some good shots, some good sequences, some good concepts. But... Josh Lucas with terrible facial hair is very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I could have used a little more of him, too, because I liked... Yeah, I, he was one of the best performers in it, so it would have been nice to see him more, especially once he's they run into him there. Like That was very exciting and enticing, too, when yeah. he sees him at the top. Yeah, and that was creepy. Then nothing more really, really comes yeah. from that. It's just like little half halfway there you know then he's lost again even like i love i love when he is um after he finds the treasure and he's leaving there's like a moment where it shows there's like a split and he can go to employees or patients and he goes the patient's route i'm like oh shit what's gonna happen from here yeah yeah and even like that whole the whole setup of the place with all just the cages and the stairwells and stuff to Mm -hmm. keep like patients in certain areas is so good and so underused like people they should be trapped they should Yes, exactly. Stuck in there. If there's a big giant like staircase, there shouldn't be like open areas where you could just jump down the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. Like they've that. That's cool to see those sorts of things. But I mean, like we saw them in that one kind of sequence. No, we saw them here and there. The all the cages. All the cages. There's a lot the of like establishing shots yeah. of just the camera going through the hallways and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but again, like more missed opportunities to like if they're gonna do that, if they're gonna show more of what this asylum actually looked like, also maybe dig into that history. But no, we just have that's these recordings, these session recordings. That's the only thing that connects us to the past. 
Yeah, and barely. Like, barely, even yeah. Even those sessions and hearing about this person with Split, I guess like it's supposed to just tease that Gordon's going through the same thing. But the fact that that narrative, like the story of Mary and her different splits, whatever, didn't really feed into what's happening overall made All, it feel extra yeah. useless. Yeah, the only thing that connects them is the fact that they're both suggestible. Yeah, and again, that's what, like I thought it was going to be that they were all, all those people were going to fall into Mary's different personalities. I say we're going to show, oh, Caruso was the protector and this one took up the spirit of Billy. I thought they were all going to take up the different split personalities and maybe that is what they were trying to do because that would be clever. It did look like right at the end there, like, um, I think, what was the guy's name? Mike, who was listening to the tapes? Yeah. I think he's like starting to write down like princess equals like innocence or like something. Yeah, he was identifying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that didn't pan out to anything except to explain that little story and the only way that that story connected to what was happening is the fact that like i said she was suggestible and she was the one who was like that's what i'm saying yeah. and it would have been great if you right. could have like associated the locked the crew members with those like that would have been, that's an exciting story to yeah, tell that. a crew goes in and this person who was killed in this facility yeah. had four or five personalities and now everyone is just kind of taking on just like in cabin yeah. in the woods where they all take on the the yeah the roles from yeah, the, horror the archetypes stories. yeah and I love that in Cabin in the Woods because they're like, he's mm. acting like more of a jock than usual. Like they're, yeah, they're commenting they, on yeah. their behavior shifting. And like pumping out like gas and stuff to like yeah. increase their like hormones or whatever. They totally could have done that here. And it would, and I thought they were going to lead to that, but it didn't yeah, happen. Kind of seemed like that. But no, they, they didn't respect the two stories that were happening. They didn't yeah. combine them. They didn't make them allegories for mm-hmm. one another. Like they were just. Yeah. So I feel a happening. little duped because I just, I was expecting it to go somewhere. Yeah. And there weren't signs that it wasn't going to pay off as we were going through. So you're, yep. you're watching, it's unique in that sense. Like I'm watching yeah. it and I'm believing it and I'm on board with it. And then the credits happen and you're like, Oh, okay. I guess that okay. was all kind of for an incomplete picture. Yeah. It's kind of like dark song in that way. Like mm, how dark song uh, hit us. No, but we were yelling at the screen for we that were, last third of dark. Song. Well, yeah, like, because what the fuck is this giant angel? Cause we were way more excited about the setup. Yes. So like this one just didn't have, didn't try as hard with the setup. So oh we my were God. Less let down, but now I'm getting angry thing. about dark song. <laughs> Let's just talk about dark song. <laughs> Cause what that was, get? that was even more of like an exciting setup. They, they more explicitly laid out rules and ingredients. This one implied them. And that's why we're frustrated that they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But dark song, like straight up told you all the rules and setups and then didn't follow through on it. And then it. destroyed its own ritual it's like ah that doesn't matter look giant angel (laughs) the end (laughs) doesn't matter different movie now yeah yeah so yeah that's session nine um that was hereditary with a small discussion about session nine yeah more time on hereditary than session nine (laughs) this episode um what can we do but i'm i'm glad i crossed it off the list now i've seen it now i know what it is yeah i fully think that if i'd watched it in 2001 it would have been much more effective yeah and I was the one little thing that I was holding on to, I thought was representative of more of the movie. I'm like, I remember. Yeah. What, learn what, what's going, what came back to mind when you were watching that? It? There was one moment where you said, Oh yeah. Yeah. When he, well, when he I said that tapes. right before he opened up the tapes, I'm like, Oh yes. And then he's like trying to figure out what the tapes mean. And that's how we learn about mm-hmm. the force that's causing this. But the real thing that like hooked me onto the movie, I'm like, okay, we'll do it is that last 10 minutes. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was, right. I like that when a movie turns on a dime and lets you know what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't remember how probably bored I was the rest of it. Even the title, the ninth session, like, what's what's so exciting about that? I mean, that That's final session is when What's-His-Face finally yeah. comes out and speaks, Simon. And and says what that incident that they've been hinting at the whole movie. Is. What they, actually happened. They're and- really betting, banking on you caring about these little hints that they drop. Like, mm-hmm. really, like, 
tell me about the incident. But then when we're like sitting in a room watching like guys sitting on that little tile remover machine, just shooting the shit and having a smoke, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the asbestos in your lungs or whatever, like you don't think about that horrible incident that happened to Mary anymore. Not at all. Cause it's not being made urgent in their lives. It's yeah. just what Mike is wasting time listening to. Yeah, exactly. Clearly just, blowing the bonus. Just weird. Mike, they're all just blowing the bonus <laughs> in their own way, except the kid session nine subtitle blown the bonus. <laughs> Maybe we should go to some Instagram comments. Cheer Instagram us up a little bit. comments. On our hereditary post, Riketza said, "Saw it today. I didn't love it." Yeah, that's a that's a bit of a surprise. Some people, some people aren't as on board as others. People are either lukewarm or super enthusiastic about it. It seems. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean. It, it's a strange movie. It's it's quirky. It's off putting. Yeah, I think some people want um, more of a payoff. Like I'm I'm seeing a lot of people saying things that, like complaining like they would with The Witch or It Comes at Night that this is still too slow of a slow burn for some people. Some fans want uh, the, even Hereditary isn't good enough. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy to me. Yeah, because like and these are the same people that hated like extra hated Babadook and The Witch, but Hereditary still isn't getting that same kind of punchy jumpiness that they want from a horror movie, I guess. I guess they want it. It's, uh, it's fair. It's just so contrary to like my, what I like about a horror movie. You know, I, I love the slow burns. I always have, you know, when actually nothing is going on and they're just like, well, we're just trying to make you think about what it's like to deal with bullying. I just, that b- bothers me a little bit. Yeah. It, it, again, we talked about that ratio last, uh, in our hereditary yeah. app and it, there needs, for us, it seems there needs to be, enough of a payoff to a slow burn it can't just be yeah. a slow burn into nothing totally and that's why we don't really like babadook but some people need even more than what we find acceptable and i think yeah. maybe that's the case for raketsa but and let us know. It, and there's a lot of work to like we had to really hash although we did just love it walking out of the theater but like you have to do a lot of mental work to keep up with what's going on and you know how genius all the little deliveries are you know what i mean yeah there's there's more than you may even catch the first time like it's definitely a a rewatch to fully grasp the mythology and put all the pieces together that's why we talked about it so much at the top of today's Uh, up imagine though like completely not getting it or not necessarily not getting it but not following along it's not totally working for you and then you get that ending i can see that being like real frustrating like that was just yeah that was just a fuck show but we can give rickettes the benefit of the doubt it's not necessarily that rickettes didn't see or can make all the connections mm. but maybe this just isn't maybe it's still too slow yeah. yeah and some people i just don't think will like will like those types of movies yeah fair enough um also on our hereditary post uh we got a comment here from porcelain skylines what up hey Zena. uh this movie didn't feel as slow to me as i've heard so many people say about it it's true that much of the film is an action but it never felt like it was dragging what an ending i left the theater with an emotional heaviness that i can't explain but i feel like anyone who sees the movie would understand it's that heaviness that Paimon's here. Uh huh. He's got a body now. Uh huh. He's learning about what he is. Exactly. The that movie doesn't do anything good for the fact that you cared about any of the characters. Mm-hmm. It it's satisfying to just horror fans, but like it is a very punishing movie. Like everybody, everybody does so poorly. Uh, so like I guess Joni's gonna start getting rich soon. Like Paimon is now in Peter's body. Paimon can start bending people to his will. And I guess that'll manifest in riches, like was promised. A mountain of coins, literally. Yeah, you were the person who you know got your king or your ruler or whatever, your leader. Mm-hmm. Finally into the body it's always wanted. I'm curious, as get how, I'm curious as how um, the grandma gets rewarded for this, for dying. I guess like her life clearly 
was rich. Like her daughter clearly is was wealthy enough to be able to pursue art and stuff. So perhaps it was paying off a little earlier. Well, she said like, um, was it in some weird note like that? Um, Tony Collette found that like, um, she this will pay off for us one day. This the riches will be worth it. Like it might have even been actually just as for a, the daughter, for the daughter, for her family, your family. Yep. Just like, just like what someone who doesn't like follow Satan might and try to, to leave behind play the nice little gold coins <laughs> sprinkling over <laughs> sprinkling her, sprinkling coins over her head with a big smile. We're gonna be so rich, <laughs> yeah. Satan's body- bodyguard, king, a king of hell, uh, guard, something like that. Yeah, one of the leaders of hell. Once he shows up, once he shows up and starts making it rain, mm-hmm. coin style. <laughs> Paimon, please come live in the house. No, I like the tree fort. It's where I first <laughs> learned who I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's better up here paimon please we need those riches you know how many people died for this <laughs> paimon it's freezing up there i have the heaters paimon can we please get the corpses out of the tree fort they're really starting to smell no i like it they're <laughs> bowing to me <laughs> they're nice to me i love that they didn't <laughs> account for the fact that by putting paimon in a teenage body it's just going to be like yeah. an angry teen moody teenager the whole yeah. time it's gonna be weird and angsty he's like man it was better when she when it was in the little girl she pa- at least did the right stuff <laughs> Paimon, can you please stop listening to the Smiths? It's really <laughs> bumming us all out. Where are our riches, Paimon? <laughs> Leave I'll, me alone. I'll get them this afternoon. <laughs> thanks for those comments, Porcelain Skylines and Riketsa. Thanks, guys. Well, Scary Cats, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Tex Chris and Dave Saw Massacre. I'm David Stonebra. I'm Chris Vandenberg. And uh, as always... Chaos reigns, chaos reigns, chaos reigns, chaos reigns. Phil can't roll a doobie, chaos reigns. See you skated cats next time.